In a week when India landed on the moon, the seagulls are soaring into orbit. The tune aimed for the moon and missed while the blue moon rose in Manchester. Arsenal and Liverpool are slowly counting down before they take off, with United and Chelsea made an unexpected crash landing back to earth. All this and more in this week's episode of the Talkie Taka Podcast Season 2. Alright, we're back on the Talkie Taka Podcast. This time, our host, Swag, has taken a day off. But we've got a big panel in today. Four of you, let's start with the return of DSK. DSK, how's your week been? And what's your talkie moment of the week? Yeah, so United drop points and looks like all hell has broken loose. Uh, so, quite interesting how the game panned out. Uh, yeah, other than that, probably have not been able to follow a lot of the games. But yeah, interesting to hear the take. Interest, uh, interested to know how the group uh, what the, what the group's take is on United? You can hear the drag in DSK's voice. He's regretting being that positive on episode one, wishing he could take it back. Let's go to Ashwin next. Ashwin, how's your week been? What are your talking moments? Uh, football is back, Radha, and so and uh, and with that, it means that you know mental health has gone for a toss. United losing again, England losing the finals of uh, of the Women's World Cup. So not a really good weekend for me. Uh, my talking moment is obviously from the World Cup, uh, from, the, from, from the Women's World Cup, I should say. Um, Spain winning their first ever trophy, England uh, losing it. It's not coming home, apparently. Um, so, but yeah, an incredible final to watch. And... Uh, Kudos to La Roja to bring the to bring the trophy home. All right, another pretty sad tale. Um, up, do you have anything to brighten our week up? Uh, are you are you gonna talk about Spurs perhaps winning as your talking moment? I love how you use the word brighten over there. Yeah, uh, Spurs winning, you know, it's just a thing that happens once in a while, I guess. We have to deal with it. Uh, my talking moment um, is actually going to be a little different. I'm going to say my talking moment is United coming to their senses and finally letting go of Mason Greenwood. I think it's, and we can probably talk about it a little ways down the road, but uh, it took its time, but I think they've taken the taken the right call there. Okay, RK, you're our last hope. Get the positivity back into this week's episode. Yeah, I had a lot of options, uh, you know, for this uh, week's uh, talking moment of the week. One was, of course, Greenwood. Uh, finally, you know, club coming to its senses as outside and, you know, uh, like announcing that he will not be coming back to United, in, uh, at least into the first team picture. That was a big relief. Uh, but, you know, as Abbas already covered that, I think one big talking moment for me was how Onana played in the game against Spurs, while a lot of, uh, you know, all the focus has been on how bad United were and all those things. But Onana, especially one moment, you know, where he kind of covers up high in behind the defence, controls the ball on his chest, sweeps past the player, uh, the Spurs player who's trying to track him, and then launches a direct crossfield aerial ball on Garnacho and the, you know, and the transition is well and truly on, which it could have resulted in a lot better than the finally the corner that it was. So, that's my talking moment. 
Uh, we'll come to a few more of the moments which I missed out in this when we go ahead. All right. Um, some positivity then from um, from RK um, on me. I, I first I would say that my talking moment was going to be an absolute downer. That was the McAllister red card. It was all gloom and doom. But miraculously, over the week in a never before seen move, the referees actually put their hand up and rescinded the red card, which went through the VAR check and was not overturned. Uh, during the game. So yeah, I, I just can't believe my eyes, my ears when I heard and saw that. Um, so yeah, that's my talking moment of the week. It's uh, great news for Liverpool fans and amazing that somebody is actually trying to do something right from a refereeing point of view, at least correcting some wrongs. I know that's not happened across the board, but uh, happy as a Liverpool fan. All right, let's get right into it then. Um, before we get into the Premier League, it was the weekend of a World Cup final. It was one of the uh, the stats say 12 million people um, logged in and watched the Women's World Cup final. England versus Spain. I uh, have to say that I thought it was going to come home. Um, it wasn't to be. Ashwin, what were your thoughts on that game? What happened? What did England do wrong? Or what did Spain do right? Uh, no, I think, I think it was definitely... Uh, I wouldn't call it a close affair because obviously Spain were dominating position if and were dictating the play. Uh, it was kind of like watching one of those, uh, you know, uh, those great Barcelona men team, right? Like they were passing uh, and um, making England run around their hoops a lot. So England were huffing and puffing. Uh, Serena Wegman, she used her much favoured 3-4-1-2 system. Uh, and England has kind of grown on to it. Uh, but, man, like, Spain were just toying with England at, 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 like, at times. It was, it was just, it was just so easy for them. They were, like, pressing, like, anything. And it was almost like watching, like I said, th- those Barcelona teams from, uh, from the past. Uh, and the goal that, that finally decided the match, the, the goal from Olga was, like, probably the, one of the best well taken goals that you could have that you know that we we have seen in the in the tournament uh some of, i was just going through you know some of the stats and records that were broken uh, uh after the final so this is the this is actually the first competitive game that england have lost under serena so that's 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 a big thing of course um and then also uh, the fact that marius won the golden ball uh, despite obviously losing, losing, losing the, losing the, uh, you know, the final. Um, I mean, it's uh, not not a lot of England England goalkeepers or England players for that matters have won it before. So that was another another great stat to look at. Uh, and my favorite stat is Spain actually uh, winning the senior, the under twenty, and the under seventeen tournament in the same year. I think that was really cool. What ensued after the after the game was probably not something that you know uh, was uh, is is a good reflection on how good the tournament was. There was a lot of controversy later. I think, of course, we have, we all know about you know uh, how the team does not get along with the Spanish coach, but uh, what the Spanish president did and like literally held and kissed a player. I think that was that was like a big plot in an otherwise really good win for Spain. Uh, but yeah, like I said, 
kudos to spain for winning it and i think it was a great world cup for everyone to watch but what i uh, you know find more surprising about it is uh, you know ashwin being an old kind of barca favorite and all I, like i thought that he would be supporting spain in this match and that to sitting in ireland someone supporting england so badly i am not able to understand that yeah don't don't give don't give them my address right <laughs> so but yeah i really wanted uh, i think it's probably more because of you know uh, russo and tone and like some of those some of the players that uh, you know play in the um, in in the premier league well i say premier league but you know what i mean the wsl yeah that was uh, quite shocking i think um, i hadn't followed the background story of spain uh, leading up to the world cup final um, was looking at it mostly from an england lens um, but yeah it was pretty shocking to see the kind of differences in opinion between the team and the coach as uh, he was out there celebrating on his own pretty much and the cringiest cringiest things that you could see when the the association for the the president yeah pretty pretty creepy and weird one team though that's um, not questioning what their manager is doing is tottenham hotspur pretty good weekend uh, beating manchester united i don't think a lot of us saw that coming a um, lot of us were expecting spurs to be spursy but roy keane thinks there's a new spurs in town are manchester united the new spurs rk what do you think yeah this is the standard you know overreaction i think that dsk was trying to refer to it's it's as if you know all hell has broken loose when people don't even try to analyze the game completely so i i'll just try to give it my spin and you know hear what you guys think about it uh i didn't watch the match live but i watched uh, you know as i always do i catch the replay and i really thought that the first half was you know pretty impressive so so what were the impressive aspects first of all the pressing part uh where uh, where spurs tried to basically you know push their full backs into midfield create overloads there and united's high press basically uh, you know uh, kind of changed into that and garnacho was tracking pedro poro who was coming into midfield and then it became a man to man thing which became uh, you know as the game went on pretty easy for united to kind of uh, you know uh, deal with and then uh, you know and then start the transition so that was one really good part out of so from these transitions a lot of chances came rashford uh missed uh, a, 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 like a really good chance antony missed one in the second minute you had bruno's free header you had a, a, like a rashford header which didn't even make it into xg because he was i i don't know unbelievably offside on that uh and then you know in this uh, like even early in the second half there were a couple of chances where antony hit the post and casemiro over so that was really one good part in how we were attacking and how we were building up uh even the defensive line the kind of and the intensity the, the two things that we said last week were off with united against wolves were also good in the first half so all in all i think only thing that we lacked you know where, uh, like was to be a couple of goals in front uh, i i thought that the garnacho and I, i think most of us did as well the garnacho handball incident was like pretty blatant uh, penalty which uh, rather we have not seen any apology or any kind of comeback uh, you know coming on that i don't know why but you know after all these good things i talked about onana as well the things that he did in the first half were very impressive but uh, as always i think once we go a goal down away uh, especially last season we all all the old what started coming out and that happened again so second half of course was you know back to what we have seen the worst of united in away games and that's what happened 
DSK, you were you were um, your, one of your talking moments was the entire points dropping situation. Uh, I'm sure none of us are getting on the bandwagon of uh, uh, Roy Keane, but uh, what did you make of the game? Are you worried? Is this a work in progress? How's it going? Uh, yeah, none of us are getting into the bandwagon, but yeah, there are people like JJ Bull from T4 who think this is the end of United. I don't know, I don't know what makes him qualify as a pundit. But yeah, so how did United not uh, be 2-0 or 3-0 up in that first half is a surprise. That's uh, probably the running theme that United and Horrendous finishing. Uh, and the how come, you know, uh, like the, the worrying part is not about United's tactics or the way United is trying to build up. Yes. There are a lot of pundits who are saying United do not have a proper uh, plan or a box midfield by through which there is uh, there are clear attacking patterns. That is not how uh, United are uh, planning to play. Eric Tenag was quite clear that his idea is to win the ball high up, high pressure, win the ball and hit the teams on counter and be the best transition team. And he's building a team for that. It has its high risk, high rewards. There are two things that worry. One is, in both the games, we saw managers making slight tweaks to the system by which the United press is, and the United pressing structure is kind of getting exposed. Madison takes Casimiro all over the place. Now, that is a worrying sign that if is Eric Ten Hag's system, can it be so easily broken down by teams? Uh, and the second part is, in terms of the intensity uh, I love that RK mentioned, the other worrying sign is, when the when United players feel there is a lot of, when the luck is not going their way, like for example, the penalty shot, and uh, easy chance miss, and hitting the post, sudden, and a very, very a kind of unfortunate goal also, like, okay, Luke Shaw made a bad mistake in not marking Kulisevsky, uh, the ball ricochets off uh, Martinez and somehow Sar is at the end of it. Now, it looked like a kind of a lucky goal for Spurs. From that moment, the United players' heads completely dropped. And if you look at multiple games last season also, when United start well, have the chances, do not score, there is a kind of luck that goes against them suddenly the players completely lose it. And if you look at the Ben Davis goal, you could see Ben Davis just running past four United players. And it's, it's Ben Davis of all people who scuffs the shot. There's nobody marking him. There's nobody trying to put in a sliding tackle. So that is a worrying part. And that is something that Ten Hag should look at how to fix the mental side of things. The other worrying part was uh, on Rashford playing up front, where I'm not sure... Why uh, Why United were pursuing with it? Because Sancho did a very decent job as a false nine. And I expected him to start. And I think before the match, I texted Arvind also asking, why is Rashford not playing on the left? The last point being, now that it's, I've read Mason Mount is out for two to three weeks. Now, who who replaces Mason Mount for the in the game? See, coming to the Mount replacement, uh, it's I think it will be game by game. Forest definitely makes sense for Eriksen to come in. And then it's against Arsenal where really the tactical question comes in of who should play, whether it's McTominay or it should be Eriksen. I, I think McTominay might be preferred if he's still at United at that game, which also looks very likely. Yeah, I think 
RK and DSK have already covered the tactics part of it primarily, but in terms of in terms of what Roy Keane and all the pundits have been saying that you know um, United have been acting like Spurs, I think it is very early to judge them because they have changed this style and they also have a lot of new personnel who still not gelled, who still not like played as a cohesive unit for 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 a while. It is not as bad as it was this time last season when we when we lost like 4-0 to Brentford. I think all hell broke loose then and we were like calling out for everyone's head. Um, I, I, I'm still a bit on the fence on the Mount signing. You know, when he was signed, I, I was thinking, oh, do we really need Mount? Because I've seen Mount uh, play really well on the left for Frank Lampard or, you know, being one of those uh, forward threes as opposed to as opposed to the role that he's playing right now. Coming to Spurs, up, I think... Um... A little bit positive, I think the vibe is. Um, shouldn't be coming to up when it comes to positivity about Spurs. But what did you think? Yeah, I'll admit I didn't see the game fully. I saw the, maybe the last 25 minutes or so. And Spurs looked pretty comfortable in that period. I did, of course, catch an extended highlights of the game after. And the boys have spoken enough on the tactics. Um, uh, I think Spurs look good this year from an entertainment point of view. I saw their opening match against Brentford also, which was a 2-2 draw and now a 2-0 win. I think we can expect a lot of drama from Spurs this year. Uh, action at both ends of the pitch. Uh, I don't think we'll see too many boring games from them, uh, which is all you can expect from Spurs really. And um, uh, I did want to call out that I do like... Uh, Ange Postecoglou. Uh, he looks like a super fun guy. Every interview he says something super funny and entertaining. He's very likable. One of those managers that the fans will get behind very soon. I'll admit I knew nothing about him before he came to England. But um, uh, it seems like one of those managers is the kind of manager they need right now because he'll get the fans behind. Of course, Harry Kane has left. I think he's the kind of guy who will minimize that impact just by being the kind of personality that he is. So, I think Spurs can expect, um, I mean, I honestly don't know what they can expect on the pitch. I know it's going to be entertaining. What is a good ambition for them this year? I don't know. But I think I think they have, they have a pretty good manager there uh, in terms of where they are in their evolution. Right? So, uh, lost their best player, need to have a steady season, try and get back into Europe. I think they can do these things with Boston. Just one thing, but just one thing on 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 Spurs uh, because we, we because we started on the note of uh, Roy Keane saying that uh, Man United have become Spurs. I think Spurs did a lot of Spurs things at the end of the game. Uh, apparently, uh, they did a lap of honor after winning against United two 0 So uh, and then apparently, like uh, in the tube station, they were like. Going on, the fans are going on for hours as if they had won uh, the Champions League or something. So, I think, yeah, fine. Take the tunnel win uh, and maybe the Audi Cup or Tiger Cup or whatever it is that you have won. So, so I agree completely with them. They, I think they're going to be entertaining. They're reminding me a lot of the Martin Yall teams, which is which are very easy to watch. A um, lot of action happening all the time. This makes a lot of sense with the fullbacks that they've got. If their if their wing forwards are cutting inside, um, 
they go all the way their 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 full backs pedro porro and destiny udogi were outstanding i thought and they are giving them the width and they were a lot of their players coming through them um but the vibes were really good i think uh, the spurs vibes were really good i think i i was listening to a podcast where a spurs fan was saying that even before the match started this was one of the best atmospheres that he had been in for the last few years this is a team that has had a lot of misery ever since poch left i would say like a lot of things uh, to be very serious and dull about and i think they're they're slowly getting some some of their happiness and vibes back so i wouldn't poopoo their and entire lap of honor thing i know it's a little crazy but if you remember that uh, liverpool had like a similar moment against west brom where they drew 2-2 uh, in the last minute and then they did like one of those go to the fans and the german um, you know get 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 on your feet kind of celebrations and everybody ridiculed it at the time but i think it was just like a starting point in a connection being built between the manager team and crowd as a trinity that could be something that's happening at spurs because like ab said the manager seems to have this magnetic likability so it's something that i'll keep my eye on um, i definitely used to love watching spurs back in the day under martin yol even more than i did arsenal under arsen wenger and i'm hoping that they become that entertaining high high intensity side again every week i you know come to know of a new favorite team of uh, you know radha so so this time it's spurs Last week he mentioned something about West Ham, and don't forget Everton. Not favorites, just I love watching a lot of these teams. I just dislike a few of them. Coming to the next big game or the big upset, I would say Chelsea couldn't get over the line against West Ham. West Ham, who had a fit and firing Antonio back, and Chelsea after all their signings still look like they have some holes to fill up. Yeah, uh, holes to fill. Yes, it does look like it. I think I would say hole to fill. Singular. I think the club will be looking to get one forward player in uh, before. And I reading that they are trying to sound out uh, Balogun and all from Arsenal. I doubt that's going to happen. Uh, it's coming back to the game. Yeah. So I don't think we have won. Uh, at uh, away at West Ham since Eden Hazard was last at the club, so should I have been expecting anything from this game? No, and I didn't going into it. I was probably going to be okay with the draw. It's uh, very early in this Chelsea team's uh, evolution. I think to go out and win comfortably at West Ham. That said, I was very surprised at how we performed. Yes, a bad goal to give away. Uh, you know, having one of their. Uh, Uh, I think Aguero scored the goal. It was being was being marked by Gallagher. It's a no contest from an aerial so point of view. A silly goal to give away, especially you, when you know how good Watt Prowse is with set pieces. Um, that said, the team responded brilliantly. I think Chelsea dominated a large part of that first half. Some exceptional play. Enzo was good. Sterling had his best game in a Chelsea shirt. I thought he was absolutely fantastic in that game. Um, Uh, and then you know, uh, I think the game was lost on a couple of moments. Obviously, we won a penalty. Sterling won it with a pretty good dribble, uh, and then Enzo, I think, taking his first ever penalty for Chelsea, a pretty tame one, savable height for the keeper. And once that penalty was missed, things started just swaying back to West Ham a little bit. And um, the uh, I think. 
kind of similar to what happened in the previous week against Liverpool. The team that started the game played well, but the minute we had to make substitutions, which Chuku Chukumeka got injured and had to be substituted with Mudrik, uh, who's a runner, he takes the ball and runs, and he had a couple of good runs, but he's not going to allow you to retain control of the game like a Chuku Chukumeka does. I'm going to butcher that name. Um, uh, and then, of course, uh, let's get to it, which is Kaiseido's horror debut. Uh, I think we lost control. It's even that stupid penalty aside, I think we lost a little bit of control when he came in, which is kind of antithetical to what you'd expect from a number six coming in, right? A ball-winning number six is, should allow you to stay in control of the game. The team is, the opponent is, opponents are down to 10 men. You should be continuously using a player of that ability to keep recycling and keep coming back to them with pressure. Uh, we were simply not able to do that. When we did, we, of course, Modric missed a pretty a chance which we should at least get on target. Um, so, I think overall, to quickly summarize, I think the, the system is there, the play is coming in, the personnel need experience. Uh, a guy like Jackson, you can see he's talented, but he's raw. The same applies for so many players, right? Uh, I mentioned this in the, during the game also. Eight of um, uh, eight of eleven Chelsea players were younger than West Ham's youngest player, right? So it's a super raw team. Um, uh, so I think this the team will evolve, but they are we are going to have results like this uh, along the way. You know, that, uh, like that's ex- exactly the way. You know, uh, like these two managers like to play, like you mentioned, eight players younger than their youngest player. So, David Moyes clearly prefers, you know, extremely experienced uh, players, which is why he tried to get, you know, the likes of Maguire. I'm not sure how many of you remember the legendary Jonathan Woodgate debut for Madrid. Uh, Is it as bad as that? Is he rather nodding? No, I was I was nodding about remembering it, but no. Now that you've re- reminded us, it can't be as bad as that. Uh, this was a third goal in a in a game that they were already losing two one. Woodgate was a own goal, red card, masterpiece. I don't think there's any. And he got injured also, or something, that. right? Uh, soon after. Uh, I think that was on his comeback <laughs> after the red card. But but yeah, it it was it was a little bit uh, uh, a sadistic pleasure definitely after the terrible week that che- we've we've had at the cost of che- not at the cost at the hands of Chelsea. Um, it was good to see the guy who rejected us for Chelsea having a mare. But we all know he's going to get back to his best and he'll he'll be great. The the thing that I'm a little bit concerned about for Chelsea is there seems some real lack of effort and lack of application in. Two of the goals that they conceded, obviously the first one was a marking error where while while Ab mentioned that he was being marked by a short player, I think there was no one near him actually. So, he was pretty much unmarked for the goal. So, that aside, the first one, the Antonio goal, I think Disasi was weak um, um, on the tackle for the… Um, uh, Tiago just stood um, still, he didn't… He didn't run back after after the ball had crossed him. Disasi was weak on the tackle. Colville didn't really… He, he was just watching what was happening and then finally a great finish. And in the next goal, uh, Madueke lost the ball, I think, and then didn't even attempt to run back. He was just jogging back and that ended up in the penalty that um, that, that was conceded again by an individual error. 
Um, so from an effort and sharpness point of view, there are some concerns. Uh, but I was listening to Match of the Day where um, uh, Townsend, who obviously has worked under Poch, uh, said that he doesn't really care about results as much in the first few weeks of the season. All he cares about is training and coaching. And he then has the faith that fitness will then take over in the second half of the season. But the first half of the season is all about getting the coaching right, getting the training right and getting the system right. So individual errors and losing a few games may not be the end of the world for for Chelsea and Pochettino. It looks like uh, this is something that will be, their season will be defined, say, after December. You know, just just one uh, interesting point that uh, I like, uh, when I was talking to Arun, he brought up, which I thought is really relevant. So he was talking about Poch's evolution and how this could be the right stage for him because at Spurs, he was, you know, able to build a young team and, you know, build a hardworking team, but he didn't have the budget. Uh, then he went to PSG who had all the budget, uh, but of course, they, they, he had Messi, Neymar and Mbappe where he couldn't really impose any kind of style of play. And he, here, finally, he has come to a club who have unlimited you know, money, we have talked about that in the last part. And he's also able to build very young, hungry, hardworking, the kind of players that he likes to sign. So probably this is where we will, you know, this will be the real test of Poch is what Arun had a viewpoint and I, I completely agree to that. Yeah, no, yeah, I also agree with that, except for the unlimited money part, we'll come to that later. But um, uh like both the games, and I, I know I'm repeating this a little bit, both the games, the Liverpool game and this one, the first 11 that started did what they were asked to do. The minute you bring in another player, the team becomes weaker. Ideally, substitutions after a certain stage in the game are supposed to make you stronger, especially if you're chasing the game. But I think that's where the lack of some of these other players maybe not being so involved in the system as the starting level. Uh, is coming into the picture. Um, uh, I think that will take time. So even though the team seems to be playing well, I think the squad needs to play well, if I can put it that way. Uh, I think Potts, of course, will get a lot more rope than uh, than a Graham Potter got. But yeah, but it's interesting. There's a lot of times last season where I just wanted to switch off the TV. Uh, this time, you know, I think there's there's, there's a reason to keep watching reason to keep watching because there's always a new player you want to see on the pitch for the first time if you're a Chelsea fan. Somebody on the bench waiting to come on for their first appearance. Lavia wasn't even on the bench so I don't think you'll be turning off the TV next week either. He should be making his debut. Uh, moving to another game this weekend, uh, Liverpool started off looking like it's going to be a bad week. Uh, it looked like they hadn't gotten off the training field but this game was all about that moment, the red card. Uh, McAllister with a tackle seemed like a pretty innocuous one. Nobody from the opposition was appealing for a red card. Nobody from the commentary team. Nobody had any idea what was happening when the red card was given. There was just a shocked silence. Uh, I was definitely shocked. RK, what about you? Yeah, my reaction. Uh, like I just have to go back to how McAllister reacted when I, you know, uh, like when I was watching the uh, highlights of the match. So he initially had a smile. Uh, if I remember correctly, after that challenge. Because it was that innocuous, he didn't really think anything had happened. Uh, so he just, I think, got the player off his feet and he, he had a smile on his face. Uh, you know, and then suddenly the ref starts calling him and he pulls out the red card. And, you know, the most shocking part is 
you know when you see the tackle like that going in you see that it's a bit high and all and you think okay you might have missed something but when you see the replay you actually see that it's you know and, and you like really don't get at all like what made the ref you know hand out a red card so it's is just rather it's another line in you know completely inexcusable set of decisions that are happening week on week we have talked about you know uh, the refs giving an apology after wolves and then they fired those uh, or or and suspended those uh, you know those officials they pulled back the decision on mcallister finally but there are so many other decisions which need explaining like uh, you know i talked about the garnacho handball uh, last week we were talking about the vicario one which was so similar to what onana did so there are so many events which kind of go undiscussed and there are so many people who uh, you know people like uh, Dermot Gallagher, who, uh, if I got his name correctly, he he comes every game and tries to defend, uh, you know, the uh, like the decision. So I I really think that we need to have this kind of live, you know, justification from the refs. Uh, otherwise, the situation is not getting better. Like uh, along with the major injuries that we are seeing, I think this is the the biggest worry of the season for me. Now, I don't know how much of the live explanation would work because. Even after the most stupid decision, Dermot Gallagher usually comes in and defends the referee. So you would just see, see more of comical answering, just that it becomes live. See, a referee on the field split decision might be bo- blocked by something. It happens in like less than a second. Missing out something is something that we understand. Like, and we get we have, we have seen these mistakes happen in cricket. We have seen these mistakes happen in tennis, but. in both those sports the the technology is used to solve a problem what i don't see in football and especially in football in england like during the world cup probably i don't know if if my sample size is really skewed uh i did not see the same level of inefficiency in using war what i find is the the way war is used in the premier league is absolutely stupid and i don't blame the technology i blame really incompetent people using it uh for not taking the right call when the evidence is right in front of them like whether it is like i for bandersek i'll i'll keep on saying that the nana one was not a foul it, it is a clear and obvious penalty in the mckellistic is like somebody who is seeing that in a replay in some 10 different angles in slow motion how are they not able to take action on it and relay the information back i have no idea and whenever there's a I, i don't know if you people have seen me keep tweeting repeatedly and i keep saying that every time after a bad decision it's not the technology it's absolutely incompetent people in 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 the fa who are using or who are not using the technology to solve the problem this is the second week in a row multiple games we've talked about and we've already talked about referees so much where it was the one thing that we were worried about at the end of last season i think in our review episode as well it's not a great place to be um, i don't know how this is going to get better but anyway coming back to what's on the pitch uh, liverpool again look like defensively they have a lot of questions to answer there's a lot of balance issues i'm giving them a pass because they're playing um, two attack minded midfielders and gakpo as a third midfielder i'm giving them a question giving them a pass on that uh, but from an attacking point of view things are really coming together these look like a really dangerous scary team to play particularly with McAllister and Sobosly looking like they've settled in so beautifully well in the system 
I'm so ex- I've never been so excited for a new player as I have. I think the last time was Luis Diaz, who is also turning into a new player. He's getting into the box a lot. He's not playing like the winger that he was in when he first signed, where he was hugging the touchline. He seems to be running into the box a lot, like what Mane used to do. Um, and it's not a coincidence that he scored three goals in preseason, two goals already in the Premier League. I think there's more to come from him. But McAllister is so good at what he does. Simple stuff, not something that you'll see in highlights, highlights packages or, or things like that. But just perfect weights of passes is there when you need need it when when you're when you're trying to build a press or you're trying to stop a counter attack. But my favorite is Sabozlai. I'm so dead excited about this guy. He's a tank, an absolute tank, a, a physical unit. He can ping a 50-yard pass. He he passes with both feet. His touch and turn are superb. He's all his highlights that I'd seen prior to joining were about his technique, his shot, his free kicks, his corners. I've not even seen much of that in this in this season, in these few games so far. And he's already looking like he's going to be a top signing. I'm very excited about him. So, one question for me to you. Um, so, obviously, you started with Gakpo in midfield again and then Endo came on. Probably only after the McAllister red card, I think, if my memory serves. So, um, what do you do? You think Liverpool need players? You you'll probably say yes, but do you think Liverpool will get more players in the one week that's left? What kind of positions? Uh, now that Endo is in, you still think you'll get another midfielder? Yeah, I just don't see how it's possible that a club that was trying to sign Lavia for an entire summer then suddenly tried to sign Caicedo and then came back to Lavia. I don't see how the solution to that problem or the answer to that question is Endo. Um, it's, it seems like Endo was a second player that they were trying to sign in that position. And I think that another one is definitely on the cards. You're being heavily linked with uh, Gravenberch and with um, um, Andre from Brazil. And Andre, I, I believe we had a bid rejected as well over the last few days. Um, so, yeah, I think there's definitely a new player coming in midfield. A problem that we had at the start of the season, the uh, start of the summer itself, was the left-sided centre-back. Uh, we've not even come to that yet because of how abominable we've been at the whole midfield uh, replacement after Fabinho and Hindu went to uh, Saudi Arabia. I think uh, maybe this is getting pushed out to next season, but we still need a central midfielder to come in um, for the long term. And we need a left-sided centre-back because... If we're playing the system that we're playing with Trent moving into midfield, we need somebody who's actually a centre-back and not Robertson to play as a centre-back. So that's definitely two two moves that are really critical um, that I see. A third one, which may not be the top priority right now, is somebody to actually play right-back um, or challenge Trent because Trent remains for the third consecutive season the only right-back senior, senior member of our squad. So that's a bit of a worry as well. If his form dips or he gets injured, we're in big trouble. Joe Gomez is the right-back right now as the backup and uh, he's not really a right-back at all. So, yeah, that's a bit of a concern. These are the three positions where I think after we make these positions, we're going to be sorted for some time. Mm. And the backup right-back Milner is also one of the backup right-backs. They signed a couple of kids, but I don't think that's working out. They've sent them out on loan again, the kids that they did sign over the last two years. So, yeah, right-back is definitely a position where uh, we need some depth or at least somebody who can play multiple positions like Milner did. But isn't Endo the answer? Because you didn't get Enzo, you didn't get Casedo, you go and get Endo to solve your problems. 
what are you saying man what are you saying endo is endo is uh, he is an answer to some question i'm sure uh, i'm ex- i'm excited like everything i've read about him seen about him i'm excited to see what he can do he had one moment where he anticipated a pass and cut in and that led to a counter attack which he should have scored if he does more of that i think he can do a job but yeah a 30 year old signing from a relegation threatened team in germany after chasing caicedo and lavia i think he's not the answer dsk he was definitely better than caicedo this weekend so i'll give you that yeah let's let's i i i would take this this week i would take the performances of endo and caicedo if we could just extrapolate that for another 30 games i would be very happy but but yeah i mean moving on i think uh, the two big teams that everybody was looking forward to watching this season city and newcastle city didn't have kevin de bruyne um, they played an interesting system where foden was playing in the number 10 role he was playing in, in as a creative force of that team and i have to tell you guys i'm i'm on the foden train i'm all up in that foden train he's he was outstanding he played at least four passes to haland b- behind the back line in a different day haland could have scored four at least a hat trick guaranteed he should have scored he had an off day so he didn't but i'm i'm foden was by far the best player on the pitch um and he's not just like kdb is always getting on the ball looking to pass it and looking to play the killer ball he does that he did that to great effect but he's popping up everywhere and receiving the ball in dangerous positions as well so i think he's going to be a real game changer x factor kind of number 10 for city i was a bit worried about how they would manage with uh, kdb gone um, maybe alvarez playing in the hole i don't know what they were planning but foden in that role was just outstanding i do think i'm a big fan of foden anyway i think this is going to be the season that we'll see the best of him he's going to go on to play for england in that position as well i i think i'm i'm really excited about foden did you guys catch the game what did you think yeah i i saw the highlights and the, the you know the like the first thing that came to my mind was us discussing that kdb will be you know absent for a few months and this is the fourth season that you know a city are looking for the title so they might not be it's it's not humanly possible to be as hungry as they were but i think they surprised us on both these counts foden i was very impressed just from the highlights package itself because it it all looks like you know he wasn't a natural choice for pep but with kdb out injured now he's he's really become important for him and he's going to take the you know bull by the horns so to say so i i, I think that's very dangerous city uh, the second thing that is very dangerous about city is now pep doing small small things every game so i think this game they were trying to isolate dan burn create those half spaces in and around him sometimes like kyle walker going unnaturally you know really high and wide on the right and then foden coming in all the you know spaces that was getting created and you know like the most surprising stat for me from that was that newcastle had only 0.28 xg xg against city so they barely created anything the whole game this was a team who crashed five goals past aston villa who have basically you know played with swagger against so many teams but city just pressed them defended so well off the ball so that and that's the most surprising thing even more surprising than you know foden getting such a good game uh, uh, was that you know city are still so hungry that is the most dangerous thing for me which i didn't expect Yeah, like Phil Foden obviously had a really good game, but uh, 
Also, uh, Julian Alvarez, I think that goal was an absolute peach of a goal. Like, it's such a difficult skill to to even execute. Uh, I think, uh, it, it. I mean, it, it was probably one of the goals. It could be one of the goals of the season. Definitely was, uh, uh, you know, one of the goals of the week, uh, taking nothing away from the Mitoma goal. Uh, I, I think, RK, you, you probably you know, hammered in the right point over there. Like, it's it's amazing how they're still so hungry. It's like, what can they possibly get over after the after the season that they had last time around? Probably the quintuple this time, right? Because they're winning each and every, every everything, you know, that they, they set their uh, eyes on. Um, I was, I was, I was uh, hoping that City would have an off day because obviously KDB was injured. Haaland isn't firing the way he 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 was firing at the start of last season. He did scuff in. Uh, he did had a few scuff shots in the game as well. So I was like, okay, maybe 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 they will, Newcastle will nick in a point or something, and we'll all be happy. Uh, but no, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't to be. Uh, like City, well worth the three points, and uh, uh, and yeah, Phil Foden having you know one of the games uh, of his life. Yeah, Newcastle were disappointing. I don't think they created much, like RK said. Um, but it is against City, so you know it, it's probably the hardest team that you have to face uh, as well. Gordon, in fact, had a yellow card for a high high boot uh, challenge and had a late challenge later on, and somehow escaped a second yellow. So more refereeing controversy in this game as well. Um, but there's no controversy about one team this season. Flying high are Brighton leading the league two consecutive four ones. They become the first team, oh sorry, the sixth team ever to have started the season with two four goal uh, games. They're, and the, all the other names are all the names you'd expect: Arsenal, Chelsea, and United, and things like that. So a lot of a lot of big teams and Brighton join their um, join them in that. Uh, a fun fact: the the top expected assist player in the league at this moment in time is Estupinian and the next two are also from Brighton. Uh, so after two weeks, Brighton are kind of dominating the creativity charts. But I don't think Mitoma was looking for an assist from anybody in that game. Did and What did you guys think of his goal? You know, Mitoma had a great moment in the previous game from a very similar position where he, you know, does a kind of feint and dribble past the player, runs into the box and I think gets fouled. Uh, so, very similar action in this game as well. Uh, you know, extremely similar run and this time he decides that he's going to shoot and score that goal and he, you know, does it. Uh, a lot of us uh, picked, you know, different Brighton players as, you know, FPL favourites because of the price and all and I had picked Mitoma. So, definitely I felt last season that he wasn't that productive Although there was all the talent and we raved about him even at the World Cup. But probably the end product wasn't there that much. But I think this season it's going to explode. And of course, as Ab said, Liverpool are going to try. But he's going to go to Chelsea next season. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, if it was up to me, I'd never buy from Brighton again. Uh, although they're producing one fantastic player after another. Uh, to me, just on the goal, um, I know there's a... You know, you know. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it it just you know it's so funny to see you in the you know playing the victim time after time. Uh, you know, despite despite having everything. 
and uh, what did you say before did you say that um, you know you do not have unlimited funds so like the 800 million pounds you just found in like under the sofa or something yeah that see that will come back to bite us because it's it, it needs to be paid for one way or the other i know we have gotten some 300 out of sales also but the overall 920 or something that dot boli is at so far will need to come back but anyway coming back to brighton i think there was a bit of comparison between uh, son's goal uh, against burnley i think a couple of years back where he ran pretty much the entire length of well at least pretty much one half of the pitch and scored uh, but i thought this was a better goal than that uh, if you go back to that son goal you see a lot of burnley players kind of putting in rather poor tackles or no tackles at all uh, i thought this was a better goal and finish overall um uh, in fact brighton also did a little bit of banter on it on their social media accounts where they said you know you all are appreciating mitoma's goal but what about that fantastic assist and the assist is just estupinian giving him a two yard pass right so there's a bit of banter going on there as well brighton are flying it's amazing how they lose pretty much one of their best players each window and they come out looking better than they were before it's just absolutely crazy the way they do that yeah that was the interesting part for me uh, because it's like how are they going to replace both these outstanding players that have gone out from the club mcallister uh, and and kaisedo and looks like the answer for them is uh, pascal gross uh, has started both the games and then it's one of dahud or uh, you know uh, your old boy gilmore yeah. to fill in yeah let's not let's not forget sony march yeah, he's becoming a little bit of a dele ali frank lampard esque arrive in the box kind of player he mentioned after the game in the interview that um, they are training particularly on arriving late and finishing off chances so that's the role that he's been given um, uh, this year um, at brighton and he's already got a couple of goals or three goals um, this season so it's something to keep an eye on um, he looks like a guy who can who can get on the end of a lot of things in a team that creates a lot of chances anyway so very entertaining stuff uh, brentford was the other team that a lot of us had doubts like they've they've not sold too many important players but they lost ivan tony and uh, even even after losing ivan tony they seem to be flying like their two their two main stars mbuemo and visa getting their goals every time they're asked I think this is now the seventh game after Tony has been suspended, and in this period of time, Visa has got six goals and Imboema has got seven goals. Uh, and after the game, the manager came out and said that, "Hey, this is why we didn't go out and sign anybody mm-hmm. to replace Tony because we had full faith that Visa and Imboema would do the job for us." So they're looking good as well. Um, any other teams that caught your eye? 
I think Arsenal continue to win, so they are the other like the third team with, uh, I guess you know uh, with with the full quota of points. William Saliba having a you know great game uh, again, so he he's prove uh, you know proving his consistency. And of course, we talk about refs and stuff. I think the red card which Arsenal got was not at all. It, it was again a very kind of inex uh, you know in uh, kind of inexplicable decision for me why he got that red. It seemed like a fairly, uh, you know, normal challenge. The centre back was covering. So again, the ref story rolls on with Arsenal as well. But I, I guess for all the people who watch our pod, and you know, I, I, I know a few of my friends who watch it and uh, who are Arsenal fans. Uh, we will talk about Arsenal next week because they are going to thrash United. The jinx game is strong with this one. It is. Um, just before we move on to next week, however, we have we are building a bit of a reputation as fantasy Premier League. Visionaries, I think a lot of the players that we had uh, recommended to our fans and subscribers uh, are doing really well this season so far. Uh, on that note, we've had we've seen two weeks. Ashwin, do you have any insider trading trip tips that you can share with our listeners? Insider trading. Uh, all I look at is the fixture difficulty ratings, right? Uh, so. I think it will be a good time to probably pick up some of the um, some of the Chelsea uh, assets. I was looking at Kilwell, but then obviously that was before that was before the West Ham game where they conceded what three goals was it? Um, but I think Chelsea do have a really good fixture list coming up, or at least the next three fixtures are looking really good. Uh, and in terms of in terms of captain uh, picks, I think. I'll probably look at Holland this time around because they're playing Sheffield away. Uh, I think that's a really good fixture to look at. Arsenal also have a really good fixture uh, against Fulham. Uh, so, might be worth looking at that. Uh, I've transferred out my United assets. I, I had Bruno Fernandes and Rashford. I've got rid of them. Um, yeah, I think uh, the number one rule in FPL is don't get too emotional. Don't pick your favorite players. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I've actually played my wild card this week. I got seven new signings in. Uh, uh, a bunch of a bunch of changes all through the team. Uh, I'll I'll just mention a few recommendations as well. If starting with the obvious ones, if you guys haven't yet got him, Estupinian is a must. He's looking like one of the best attacking players in the league, and he's a defender. So uh, get him in as soon as you can. Um, Antonio at six, uh, at uh, costing six million, is looking like a good one if he's going to be their number one striker at West Ham and they're not signing anybody else. Um, an absolute must for me, and that goes with what Ashwin is saying of Chelsea's fixtures as well, is Robert Sanchez at four point five, getting the number one keeper of a top team. I think it's a no-brainer. You have to go for him. Um, the the guy that Chelsea are signing also seems like somebody who's going to compete with Sanchez and not replace him as the number one. So. I think Sanchez is a really solid bet at 4.5 million. Chilwell is a little expensive. That's the only thing that he doesn't have on him. Foden, like I mentioned, after seeing him this week, I'm sold. I already had him in my team, but I'm absolutely sold that he, for me, he's like a dark horse for the player of the year for the Premier League this season. Um, Diaz, like I mentioned when I was talking about Liverpool, seems to be playing like a f- forward rather than a winger. So he's cheaper than the likes of Rashford and and stuff. So if somebody is looking for to make up some budget, then he's one that we can look at. And of course, Mbwemo, bargain and Visa as well. Six point one. Need to sign some of these Brentford guys. They seem to be doing a great job. 
All right. But what else do we have next week? We've got Liverpool versus Newcastle. Another big game. And a potential relegation six-pointer with Everton Wolves. Everton uh, were quite comical. We called it on the pod last week where we said Aston Villa are probably going to take some revenge on the thrashing that they got at Newcastle's hands and take it out on Everton. That's exactly what happened. Everton looked a, cut a sorry picture and Aston Villa looked pretty good. Everton versus Wolves, both teams are struggling. What do you guys think is going to happen there? I think this will be one of the few opportunities that Everton had to make points, get points this season. It's unfortunate that they lost Calvert-Lewin in the in their uh, game against Villa. He got a got banged up in his face, swelled up like a watermelon. But uh, uh, this is going to be this is going to be difficult for. Uh, uh, it's it's going to be a tough season for both teams. It's only the third game week, but it's already looking like a six-pointer uh, to save yourself for relegation. Without any jinxing, RK, do you have anything to comment? No, that is that is for next week. As I said, this this week is a fairly winnable fixture, which is Forest at home. So hope that uh, with Ericsson coming in for Mount, uh, I I don't expect anything less than a win. So definitely, uh, you know, all the things that we talked about about that first half, that's what I want to see. If that doesn't happen, and you know, if if things continue to kind of go out of control, uh, then it then it's uh, you know it, it's time to start worrying. So not too worried as of now, but this Forest game will tell us how worried we should be. We need to win this man because after this. After this, we have Arsenal away and I think also Brighton coming up. So, we just have to win this. No excuses. Alright, let's let's catch up next week as we preview that big fixture. Um, looking forward to another good weekend of football. Hopefully, less referee talk and definitely more Arsenal chat next week. With that, we end today's episode and we'll see you again next week. Probably with a new post. Until then, see you later.